According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes from the scriptures. We are in Proverbs chapter 10. We're in the final portion of the chapter, outlining basically the last dozen verses in a single point of study in the subpoint. So it's point eight in the outline. A long chain of disconnected life principles. Proverbs 10, verses 22 through 32. And uh, last week we were in verse 27 talking about the prolonging of life or the shortening of life. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. And then we ran out of time as we were looking at verse 28. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. Before we start this morning, let's take a moment for silent prayer to evaluate our spiritual condition to determine whether we're humble to receive his truth. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we thank you for this morning and the truth of your word. We thank you for the benefit that accrues as we assemble together. And Father, we identify the grace provision. We recognize If we're carnal, Father, this class will do us no good. If we're arrogant, this class will do us no good. Father, humble us to receive the word implanted that is able to save our souls. Father, uh, lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Main point 13 in the outline, and we have uh, come down through, let's see, last week we were in subpoint F. Life may be lengthened or shortened as conditional options within the plan of God, recognizing that in the plan of God we have conditional options for lengthening and for shortening. We have uh, criteria that's established, and God himself has variables within his plan, that God has designed more than just X number of days, that God has designed X, Y, and Z or more, as as, uh, I tried to illustrate last week using Y to represent a large range of numbers, to use Z to represent a large range of numbers. And then X is simply X as a baseline, see? But there's a wide range of numbers that is, uh, I think, usefully described as X, Y, Z, and so forth. I may do a little short essay on that and try to get some notes on paper related to that as well. But it would be an expansion here of subpoint F. The recognition that life can be shortened, life can be lengthened, and these things take place in the will of God as a part of the conditional options, the contingency planning that God puts into place in His, in His will. And then beyond that, point G, moving on to verse 28, what are our eternal hopes and expectations? We want to ask that question. What are they? What are we hoping for? What do we expect? And uh, what does the righteous expect? What does the unrighteous expect? What can we hope for? What do they fear? All right? And it's interesting because, you know, what they dread comes upon them. And there's a, there's a certain, uh, I think, built-in pessimism that comes with the unregenerate mind. And uh, Scripture describes that. Proverbs, I think, reflects that. Uh, experience, I think, can testify to that. I can testify to that. And I know in my flesh, I'm the biggest, uh, I'm the biggest pessimist I know. All right. I mean, there might be, there might be a bigger pessimist out there, but I, I doubt it. You know. Okay, so I stretched for that one. All right. In any event, 
the, um, the, 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 the expectations of what the wicked expects, the expectation and, and, uh, of the wicked. And, and it's remarkable that the, the doom and the gloom that they just know is on the way. And, and how much of that is, is actually built into the reality that they are children of wrath prepared for destruction. That that is their lost estate. That is their, their uh, heritage, see. Well, more on that as well. Uh, but we have eternal hopes and expectations. Our dreams of the future are bright because our dreams of the future never end. That we're not just dreaming for the next 10 years or 20 years or 50 years or what have you. We're dreaming for, we're, we're anticipating what he's revealed. I say dreaming. We're imagining and dwelling upon, we're letting our mind dwell on the truth of what God has promised for our future. We live in this living hope and that's what it's about. So um, that uh, then becomes our blessing. For the believer dwelling in the word of God, every hope and expectation is gladness. It's always a happy ending. And uh, that's the blessing of what we have in, in uh, the, the truth of what God has revealed. And so we have Psalm 16, Psalm 73, both of which we looked at last week. Um, I'll, uh, we'll just touch on them this morning to, to uh, orient ourselves, and then we'll move on. I don't I want to spend a ton of time on them because we did that last week. But in Psalm 16, you'll notice verses 7 through 11. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. And and I love this. This is true biblical meditation. This is letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. This is dreaming about it, thinking about it, chewing on it. This This is letting your mind center on the glories of the word of God. And that's a whole lot better than all the other vain imaginations or empty things or, or baseball or sports or whatever else that we can scrabble, whatever else we can spend our times dreaming about just earthly stuff that, that doesn't edify. See, maybe lawful, but does it edify? And so uh, here it is. Um, and this is where the Lord can counsel. This is where my mind instructs me in the night. I'm just chewing on things I've been taught. I'm, I'm, I'm recycling things I know and I'm thinking about the impact of things and, and just dwelling on a sermon or dwelling on a message or thinking about a prayer meeting or thinking about a conversation and letting it continue to, to percolate, letting it continue to simmer a little bit. Um, you know, talking to the Lord about it and asking Him to open my eyes and say, Lord, what, there's an application here. What is it I should be doing with this? And, and how does this connect with this other struggle I've been dealing with? And, and, and just letting it speak and realizing that, that a, a light bulb can come on, a click can happen hours after the, the, the sermon's complete. The pastor's gone home and, and yet it still speaks to you. That's the living and abiding Word of God, the power of the Word of God. And, and you don't have, even have to pay the, the billable hours for this uh, as a counselor would. All right. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. So there is a present gladness that's looking forward to the eternal gladness, right? That's what we're supposed to be having. Where our attention should be on the things above, not in the sense of, well, I'm going to be in heaven someday, but I'm there right now. I am seated at the right hand of Jesus Christ. I have a heavenly viewpoint because I am operating in the heavenly places in Christ. I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I enter within the veil. I'm operating in the Holy of Holies. I am in, I'm engaged in my heavenly priesthood right here, right now. 
my Melchizedek priesthood in Christ. So my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Tremendous messianic prophecy there. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. We will be there bodily in the resurrection, but we're there spiritually right now. See, and this was a truth, this was a reality for David in the Old Testament. He wasn't even part of the body of Christ. He wasn't even baptized into union with Christ or seated at the Father's right hand. He had none of the heavenly positional truth realities that we have. But he understood the the spiritual principle of of abiding in, in the Word of God and abiding in God. That's what it's about. So we have a present gladness as we remain focused on the future. And that uh, is, is so powerful. All right, Psalm 73 then. Again, just a brief recap because we dealt with it a week ago. But putting our thinking in this, uh, in this realm. Psalm 73, verses 21 through 28. When, uh, and it's a contrast, you recall, because the opposing thoughts uh, are in the verses prior. All right. You know, we can, we, can get, we can get off track. Our eyes can be misdirected, and Satan loves doing that. We can uh, start looking at the wicked and thinking, man, they've got it made. And uh, we can, yeah, we can uh, have our eyes off, uh, off track. We need to wake up from that, all right? And uh, that takes us, I think, down through verse 20. Verse 21, when my heart was embittered, and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. And that's the problem. Your eyes aren't on the Lord. And you allowed yourself to be misdirected, and what ends up? You end up being bitter. And that bitter just gets worse and worse and worse. You're supposed to root it out when it's a root. You don't want the root of bitterness to spring up, because by it many will be defiled. Get it while it's a root. Get it before it springs up. If you let your heart be embittered, well... You're only hurting yourself. I was pierced within. I was senseless and ignorant like a beast before you. That's not what we're called to do. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. So there's a present uh, recognition of it and then the anticipated eternal recognition of it. Um, that's down through verse 24. Actually, we can finish the chapter. Whom have I have in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Yeah, there's a lot of people I can't wait to meet again in heaven, but let's start with Jesus, all right? Him first of all, first of all. And then, you know, others, my mother and whoever else. There's others, uh, clearly, but uh, we're going to start with Jesus because he's the one that makes all the rest of this possible. There's no, there's no point in any other reunion until I'm face to face with my Lord. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, this, we have this death, we have this body of death, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The outer man perishes, but the inner man is renewed day by day. How many New Testament texts come back to point to this one? point to principles such as this in the Old Testament. That, uh, yeah, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, New Testament that is, is built on this. My flesh and my heart may fail. 
I may have a physical shortcoming. I may have an emotional shortcoming. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. I want you to observe this is a present tense reality. These are concepts we're coming back to in Galatians chapter 6. Sowing to the flesh reaps corruption. And that is a present tense reality in the experiential basis of the Christian walk. That is not uh, uh, limited to an eternal consequence. We're not talking about going to hell when you die as an unbeliever. We're talking about consequences in the here and now. because uh, The reaping in the here and now for the sowing in the here and now. Galatians 6 is stressing that. I think this text is stressing that. All right. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Presently, right here, right now. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Right here, right now. It's a present reality is the nearness of God. The nearness of God. Like the Fanny Crosby hymn, right? Near, near the cross. Jesus, keep me near the cross. All right, so there it is. There's our psalm. Psalm 16, Psalm 73. And they obviously they shaped Solomon in the drafting of uh, the Proverbs. We have the New Testament reality for us today, starting in Romans 5. I love this, this Romans 5. The fact that, uh, you know, uh, Romans doesn't end with chapter 4. You know, we understand all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We understand that we're justified by faith, not by works. You know, I mean, you could just have a book that's Romans 1 through 4, and you've got a pretty good book right there. But it doesn't stop right there. It goes on to chapter 5, and I think it expands beautifully. I think chapter 5 is, a, is a, just a, a thrill to unfold chapter 4 and, and take it even beyond. So therefore, having been justified by faith, okay? Get that, love that, marvelous, but what, what beyond that, okay? We now, presently, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a position, there is a standing, there is a relationship And it's all based upon the grace of God that saved us. Through whom also, (coughs) isn't that enough? You mean there's more? Man, also? Through whom, I mean, what could be better than to be justified, to be made righteous, to be at peace? Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Oh, wow. The church age, body of Christ, we stand in a sphere of grace. Absolutely, we stand in a sphere of grace. There was grace in the Old Testament, but not a, a sphere in which born-again believers would stand, as we do. Standing in a sphere of grace. Oh, wow. And it doesn't stop there. Because standing in a sphere of grace has some exaltation with it. And that's the rest of verse 2 here. This grace in which we stand and, oh my, there's even more, we exult in hope of the glory of God. We exult in hope of the glory of God. And so we have here spelled out what we were just looking at in Psalms, what we've been looking at in Proverbs, what we have here spelled out is that we have a present perspective. We're standing, we're looking now for what we're anticipating when we get there. We're living our life now as a reflection of what will be the reality when we are absent from the body and face-to-face with Jesus Christ. So we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, 
<laughs> it just keeps going. It keeps going and going. It's like the Energizer buzzing. Keep, keeps going and going and going. Not only do we exalt in hope of the glory of God, we also exalt in our tribulations. Okay? And, and that's not an accident. I think the, the eschatological hope equips us for the, 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 tri- the tribulational hope. In other words, to just thank you, Lord, for the test you go through. Thank you, Lord. Oh, wow. Insurance company's dumping me. Great. You know, I'm going to have a, a, an exaltation in that. Why? Because this world's not my home, all right? Because I, I have the eternal exaltation that's already in progress. This is just a step along the way. We exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. Well, wait a minute, I already had hope. Well, we get more hope now, okay? Just as there's grace upon grace, there's hope upon hope. And, and, and as it builds, you'll notice the progression here, tribulation, perseverance, pr- proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so we have a pattern here. We have a, a, a principle as it relates to the Christian way of life and why it is that um, you know, uh, the, 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 the doomy gloomy uh, may be where, where your mind goes when you're carnal, but um, you've got no business being there when you're in fellowship. You've got no business being there walking in the light, walking by means of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not leading you in that. So if, if that's the cycle of thinking you're walking in, you're not walking by the, by the Spirit. You're walking in the flesh, all right? What, with this, this pattern of perseverance, proven character, hope, this is, this is the, the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, all right? That living hope. Anyway, standing in a sphere of grace, exulting in hope. What a, what a thrill. Uh, Romans uh, 15. Same, same book, same author, obviously. Romans 15. In verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope. I think this is now the third level of hope. We saw two of them in chapter 5 and now here is even above and beyond. And this comes as a consequence of prayer so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. And uh, this is also, I think, a corporate application as we accept one another. And back, when we back up to verse 7 and we see the, the uh, treatment we're supposed to have one to another, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. And we have uh, uh, the, the, the context here of 7 through 13. I think it's corporate. We're going to together, collectively, Austin Bible Church, may the God of hope fill you all, fill you with all, joy and peace in believing. Anyway. Ours is the life of hope, the present reality and the future anticipation or expectation. Finally then, Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20. Been doing a lot of reading in Hebrews lately. Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20. Hebrews has been on the short list for a long, long time, and now it's definitely, that's, it is, it is in the works. Material is coming together. I just don't know yet if it's going to be the 11 o'clock hour after the Jeremiah series 
or if it's going to be uh, the Sunday morning, Wednesday night in-depth series, in which case, look out, that's about a seven-year series then to, to do uh, 13 chapters of Hebrews. Um, but that would then follow, but that's, that's down the road, and we're not, we're not close to that. Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, we're, we're still got a while to go before, before that class is free. Or uh, maybe Hebrews will be a Wednesday morning series after Proverbs is complete. So, um, I don't know, we'll see, okay? We're a third of the way through Proverbs now. Um, anyway, I, I tend to think it's going to follow Jeremiah. And we've been in the Old Testament long enough now with Isaiah, Jeremiah, that I think uh, the Sunday morning 11 o'clock class, uh, we, might, we might deal with a, uh, a Hebrews class at that 11 o'clock hour. So, keep that in prayer. Hebrews chapter 6. The... Um, Backing up here, um, verse 9 says, we, Beloved, we are concer- convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, although we are speaking in this way. And uh, some background on this, but God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. The recipients of this letter were not rookies in the Christian walk. They weren't newbies. They'd been through some struggles, all right? They had not yet suffered to the point of shedding blood, but they have had some, some difficulties, and they have applied love. They have uh, done certain things. Also, he's not writing to an entire church. He's only writing to a segment within a church. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And as he's writing to the Hebrews, obviously they've got a background for Proverbs, they've got a background for the sluggard. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And this is so powerful, okay? The God who cannot lie, and yet he takes a vow, and he swears by himself, and he's in a covenant relationship with Abraham, an unconditional covenant relationship with Abraham, saying, I will surely bless you, I will surely multiply you. That covenant that stands to this day, even if our president wants to curse the Jewish people, God is blessing the Jewish people. (coughs) And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. All right? For men swear, and, and so, is he talking about Abraham there? Did Abraham patiently wait and obtain the promise? Is he talking about the father here? Talk about God who patiently waited. God obtained the promise. I don't know. I think people read this and they're, they're not careful in how they read it and they just make assumptions. For men swear by one greater than themselves and with them an oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, you have an oath and you got a God who cannot lie, in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that's set before us. Now sadly, this, is, this has never been applied by the Jewish people. They're going to have to wrap their minds around this in the tribulation, all right? And they will. Thankfully, they will. The, the 144,000, the doctrine, this doctrine is going to come alive for the Jewish believers in the tribulation. And then they will have the living hope that we have today in the church. 
This hope uh, we have as an anchor over the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. Where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And this is the, the thrill that we have in the body of Christ, to operate in this priesthood. We are a heavenly people. We, we are in that veil. We are in Christ. This living hope. The anchor of the soul. All right. Back to Proverbs 10. And verse 29. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but a ruin to the workers of iniquity. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. The question is this, under point H, pick your residence. Which would you rather live in? Stronghold or ruin? All right, pick your residence. Stronghold or ruin? For the believer dwelling in the Word of God, his temporal security is as guaranteed as his eternal security. His temporal security is just as guaranteed as his eternal security. In fact, I like to say safety and danger are human terms that are irrelevant to the will of God. All right? Safety and danger, if you want to discuss those concepts, you have to discuss those concepts from a human perspective. In the will of God, those aren't even valid discussions. It's like talking about time, sequence, before, after, things like that. All of that is within the realm of creation. All of that is within the realm of what God has created and designed, and and He's beyond all that. Safety and danger, I mean, am I really at risk? How risky is it? What are are my odds? Okay, Uh, Risk and odds and danger and all of that. That's all human. That's all relative. That's all within the scope of of, of temporal expressions pertaining to humanity. You know, uh, this was when I went to Desert Storm, and and it's coming up. Uh, October 13th is the anniversary of the the day we shipped out. And uh, and, uh, they had kind of a little going away ceremony thing, and and, um, Sharon drove up for that, and and, Anyway, the, the, what we prayed about and what we talked about was this issue, was, was about the will of God and about safety. And, and, you know, when you're in the will of God, you're as safe as anyone can possibly be. It's only when you're out of the will of God that you ought to start wondering, you know, what kind of uh, danger might there be. And it's danger of divine discipline is what it is. All right, it's not the circumstances and details of life or the other things. So, you know, I can go to Iraq and be just as safe as if I go to the Austin Public Library, see, which nowadays I'm wondering how safe is that even, okay? But that was the, the illustration that, uh, that came up in our discussion, all right? You know, you could be sitting in a public library just minding your own business and reading a book and whatever, and, and you know, are, are you safe or not safe? Are, are any of us safe or not safe? Wherever, whenever, you've got to be in the will of God, and that's the key. Our temporal security is as guaranteed as eternal security. I love the song, More Secure is No One Ever. Right? More secure is no one ever. And, and that's true. 
the loved ones of the Savior. I mean, we're in His arms. He saved us. He's caring for us. He's watching over us. And, and any harm, any earthly harm that comes to us, if, you know, the, the, the man that was beaten and robbed on the road to Jericho and whatever, I mean, sure, uh, bad things happen. But God's still on His throne. He's in charge. He's going to work things together for good. And we have principles, I think, that relate to this. Second Samuel 22 Verses 2 and 3. 2 Samuel, uh, also verses 33 and 46. There's a long um, section there, and it's parallel to Psalm 18, so we can save ourselves some time. Um, there's also Psalm 9 9, Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6, Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5, Psalm 62, almost the whole thing, but, but I think Psalm 62, verses 1, 2, and then 5 through 8. And then my favorite, or was Ralph's favorite, uh, Nahum 1 7. I mean, how many times did Ralph Braun say, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble? He knoweth them that trust in Him. See, so, you know, if you ever sit under a Ralph Braun ministry for a length of time, that's, that's a verse you're going to be exposed to, this Nahum 1-7. But what do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a stronghold or do you want to live in a ruin? I used to tour a lot of castles when I lived in Germany, and uh, a lot of them are ruins <laughs> now. Um, and over the years, some of them have been maintained, some of them have been restored, not always as well as they could be, or not always as restored as well as, as others are restored. And some are just so pristine and, and storybook. I mean, you look at the new Schwanstein Castle, you're looking at, uh, I mean, you're looking at Sleeping Beauty, right? I mean, you're looking at something that just, yeah, okay, it's more of a museum piece than a stronghold, you know, you wouldn't want to do battle in the thing probably, but... Um, and then some that are just ruins and you imagine what they used to look like and what, how strong they would have been, uh, how well they would have done keeping the, the bad guys out when, when the walls were intact kind of a thing. And, and the idea of, of living in a ruin and finding comfort in that is just delusional, all right? And yet that's what the fallen world does. That's what carnality does. That's what the unregenerate mind does. The unregenerate mind looks at a ruin and doesn't see it as a ruin. Sees everything as, oh, well, that's, you know, great. But they're living in a ruin and they're trusting in it. They they think this, this fallen world is just peachy. They're pleased with the way things are going. They're looking forward to things coming up. They just can't wait for, you know... Whatever, whatever, and we, we think, man, that's the end of the world, and they're just on the edge of their seat thinking, whoo, hope they make uh, you know, a presidential election or some other thing. Man, to them, you know, given candidate A or candidate B, uh, you know, three Supreme Court choices or four Supreme Court choices, there were people just licking their chops thinking, man, that's going to be great. And other people thinking, man, that's game over. That's the end of the world right there, see. And then there's other people saying, Jesus Christ controls history, so let's relax about it. <laughs> All right? Supreme is not exactly supreme, if you know what I mean, because there's the Supreme Court of Heaven, and that's, uh, that's where our confidence is. All right, Second Samuel 22. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, who does David think he is preaching to God? <laughs> you know, you ever think about that? 
And who are you speaking to if you write a song? Okay? And this is, this is it's just a marvelous thing. It's a form of worship. It's a blessing. We get to bless the Lord. You think, well, how can I bless the Lord? Well, here's an illustration. I get to bless the Lord when I employ His giftedness for His good pleasure. He gave me the gift. I want to employ it for His good pleasure. He's working in me. He's blessed me. He's blessed all of us with, with our, the, 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 the position of humanity in the image of God. The privilege that we have to verbalize our thinking. The privilege we have to communicate truth. All right? And the sheer um, uh, variety of ways that communication can occur. In song, in speech, in prose, in poetry, in to music or not to music, in, in, uh, in, in, a vari- in, in countless forms of literature. All right? And the way that you express things, the way that you say things, finding different ways to do it, finding memorable ways to do it, creative ways to do it. It's all about our creativity. There's only one creator. But we are creative in His, in his image. And so that imagination, that creativity that we're blessed with. So He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. And that's, that's what was on his heart when he wrote this song. On other occasions he would write, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay? But here it's, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you save me from violence. So there is the eternal salvation of our soul, but there's also the present temporal salvation of our bodies and our, our persons, our property from temporal uh, danger, from violence. All right? And they're both in view. It's the same Savior. It's the same Savior. In the Hebrew vocabulary, the Greek vocabulary, the, the, the Scripture is, uses the idea of save or saved in, in those ways. And I don't think that's accidental. All right? I don't think that's accidental at all. But, but this is the creativity David uh, exercises when he creates these metaphors, when he creates these, these lyrics. This is the creativity he demonstrates so that he can speak to God. He preached this word. He sang this song to the Lord. That's why when we sing, we shouldn't, we're not performance art. We're not here to impress one another. All right? We're here, we're singing to the Lord. We're expressing our worship to Him for what He has done. That's verses 1 and 2. Um, uh, actually, it's verses 2 and 3. And then uh, there's a whole lot more here. And there's kind of a testimony. This is what He's done. Recounting what He's done. Um, fairly lengthy chapter. Get down to verse uh, 32. Let's see, verse 31. <laughs> I keep backing up. Um, as for God, verse 31 says, His way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. 
See, it's not simply sufficient to be saved, to be a believer and then wait to go to heaven. While you're saved, you're living in the Word of God, or you're supposed to be. It's His way that you're walking in. His way is blameless. His Word is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. For who is God beside the Lord? Who is a rock beside our God? God is my strong fortress. He sets the blameless in His way. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me on my high places. And we have uh, the principles here. Trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Wow. Well, I don't like conflict. (laughs) I've had Christians tell me that. Well, I don't like conflict. Scripture says he trains my hands for battle. You better make use of the weapons, the armament, the training. We're, We're ambassadors. We're also soldiers in the angelic conflict. All right. Uh, down to verse uh, 46. There's a ton here. Notice verse... Um, <laughs> okay, 42. They looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but He did not answer them. Then I pulverized them as the dust of the earth. I crushed and stamped them in the mire of the streets. All right, isn't that great? That's a fun verse. I'm looking forward to that. It's like a Conan quote. To crush your enemies, to see them driven before you. All right. Foreigners pretend obedience to me. This, by the way, is not only true in the life of David, it's eschatological for the life of Jesus. It's eschatological for the millennial kingdom. The feigned obedience is going to demonstrate the grumbling under the scenes when they um, have to submit for the millennial kingdom but they don't like it when they pretend obedience so they can keep their reign turned on for the year, but ultimately they are in cahoots with the other kings that are chafing at the bonds of, uh, of Jesus Christ. Pretend obedience. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Um, foreigners lose heart and come trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation. All right, well, there's tons there. So do you want to be in his fortress? Do you want to be in the world's fortress? Because the world's fortress are ruins. Psalm 9.9. I'm not careful, I'll spend the whole hour in 2 Samuel 22. All right. Another Davidic psalm, Psalm 9. And uh, notice with conflict, there are enemies. He's going to praise the Lord. He's going to tell all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You have uh, sat on the throne judging righteously. Um, Anyways, there's conflict here. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established His throne for judgment He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. 
All right, so this is, this is eschatological, clearly. David's speaking of it as if it's a past completed, accomplished fact in his day and age. But clearly it applies to the new heavens and the new earth, the fullness of times, when Jesus Christ will be able to declare. That's what we're looking forward to. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And so we have the present walk knowing that the future is secure. It's a beautiful psalm there. All right. So that's Psalm um, 9. Also Psalm 18. Now a lot of this is redundant from 2 Samuel. So we may have done ourselves a big favor by reading as much as we read in 2 Samuel. All right. I love you. You ever tell the Lord that? I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. All right. We've got um, verse 2. Got the whole psalm, really. Uh, but as we glance down through, you'll see a little bit of the cross that's previewed here. Cords of shale surround me, snares of death confront me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple. What temple's that? David wasn't allowed to build the temple. Solomon won't build a temple for another generation, but David understands what the heavenly temple is and how God operates. Um, Anyway, all the way down. Verse 43. You have delivered me from the contentions of the people. You have placed me as head of the nations. A people whom I have not known serve me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners, and it says submit, bad translation. They deceive me. They feign obedience to me. Foreigners fade away, come trembling out of their fortresses. Again, it's eschatological. It's the rebellion. It's foreshadowing of Gog Magog at the end of the millennial kingdom in the final satanic rebellion against Jesus Christ. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and subdues peoples under me. All right, so that's all of Psalm 18 spotlighting verse 2 and verse 45, but you could take the whole psalm if you want. Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Verses 1 through 6. That's about half of the psalm. Again, it's Davidic. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? You know, when God's on your side, what are you sweating that other stuff for? (laughs) Really, you know? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. I mean, how outnumbered do you have to get to, to, to start fearing when God's on your side? Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The one concern that he has, and with, with Jesus at his side, with all this other stuff, he has no concerns about the external attack. He has no concerns about the armies or the danger or whatever. He says, but here's my concern, that he'll lose his appetite for doctrine, that he'll lose his hunger for the Word of God, that he loses his, his fellowship with, with Jesus, with the Word of God, we would say. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. If you're not abiding in the Word of God, what are you doing? All right? That's, that's more sad than being surrounded by armies or these other things that you could be afraid of. He's not talking about dying and going to heaven when he dies. He's talking about right here, right now, living in the house of the Lord. For behold, the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. But if you want that refuge in the time of trouble, you need to be dwelling in the, in the, in the, uh, the Word of God right here, right now. How do you claim promises if you don't ever learn the promises? <laughs> How do you ever cite? I mean, here comes temptation and the devil's going to give you all these things. And what does Jesus do? He cites Scripture. You cannot claim a promise if you're not living in the promises. We should be living in the promises. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And you know, it's just it's, it's staggering, the, the number of believers that aren't disciples and they don't live in the word of God, and then they're, they're bamboozled or boggled, that they're just you know, flabbergasted that they don't have a refuge to run to. Well... That doesn't boggle my mind at all. I can tell you why. You don't have a refuge. All right. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So that's verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 27. You know, in that hiding place, there's some great worship that can take place in that hiding place. So a few pages over to Psalm 31. Here's a fun one. And uh, verses 1 through 5. Let me tell you something. When your paragraph ends with, into your hand I commit my spirit, <laughs> you've got a pretty special text on your hands right there. All right? Here is, a, here is a psalm that a thousand years ahead of the cross is, is prefiguring. I mean, this is the doctrine that Jesus was cycling through as he uh, hung on that cross. All right, Psalm 31, another psalm of David. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. You know, the believer who trusts in you will never be disappointed. You will never regret or be ashamed. You will never have any reason to regret claiming the promises and trusting in the Word of God. Not once will you ever regret that. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Your name, For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Yeah, there it is. 
And here's the, the scripture that Jesus was cycling as he hung upon the cross. And when he was finally prepared to, uh, to give up his spirit, this is the verse that he cites. Psalm 62. I wonder if he re- just recited all 150 psalms. <laughs> he had three and a half hours. You know, I mean, what was he doing? Or three hours. Three hours of light, three hours of darkness. He had a lot of time on that cross. Psalm 62. And he was reciting it from the Hebrew text. Which a lot of the people around about didn't even know anymore. They thought he was calling for Elijah or something. Psalm 62. For the choir director, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. And boy, that's key as well. You're asking and you're waiting. To wait in silence, to wait quietly, to wait in faith, to, uh, to not be wailing about, well, why hasn't He answered yet? Just waiting in silence. To God only. You're not switching to plan B when God's not fast enough. <laughs> switching to, well, okay, God, you won't bail me out. Let's see what this guy's going to offer. Waiting in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. He is, He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? And so we see some of the um, conspiracy against David's life, reflecting prophetically the conspiracy against Jesus' life. They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with the mouth, but inwardly they curse. We discussed that when we talked about how dangerous the, the weapons are of the mouth. Uh, verse 5, My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. And I love the way that David turns this testing opportunity into a teaching opportunity. You notice nowhere in these verses is the prayer ever answered. But he still continues to wait. He still continues to pray. And he still continues to teach others to join him in this. Learn from this this example. God is a refuge for us. All right. That's about half the psalm as well. There's 12 verses there. That's that's about half of it. And then finally, Nahum 1.7, as I mentioned. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Oracle of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite, the message Jonah wanted to give but couldn't because it's the message of their destruction. And, and sadly, I think Nahum would have rather given, Nahum the prophet, the person, the man, would have rather have been in, Jer- in Jonah's shoes. He would have rather preached the book of Jonah. Instead, he gives the, uh, the judgment. And so... Um, A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. 
The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries. He reserves wrath for His enemies. That's why we're delivered from the wrath to come. We're not, we don't have that positional wrath. We're not to look forward to tribulation. We're not in, gonna, the church will not go through the great tribulation. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is His way and clouds are the dust beneath His feet. And so um, we identify this, all right? Verse 5, mountains quake because of Him. The hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by His presence. The world and all the inhabitants in it. Who can stand before His indignation? Who can endure the burning of His anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken up by Him. Now all of this had a limited fulfillment as Nineveh falls, as Assyria falls, as Babylon falls, as Jerusalem falls and so forth. But ultimately, eschatologically, this this passage becomes global. This is before the entire earth as God shakes the heavens and the earth. And who who can stand? But the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who take refuge in Him. There it is. All right, so pick your residence. I want to live in a stronghold. I want to, I want to have a retreat. I want to have a refuge. I want to have a hiding place. And the way to have that hiding place is to be living in the Word of God today, all day, every day, to be dwelling in His presence forever. For the believer dwelling in the Word of God, his temporal security is as guaranteed as his eternal security. All right, we've got two more points. We've got verse uh, 30 and verse 31 and 32. We'll have to come back to this next week. But we should be able to wrap up Proverbs 10, uh, verse 30 and 32. Uh, the righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. And, and then you kind of wonder, was the chapter division even necessary? <laughs> because in chapter 11, we just continue right along with uh, disconnected life principles, verse after verse after verse. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the book of Proverbs. We do call upon your faithfulness, Father, to make these studies real in our application, Father. Uh, thank you for bringing the scriptures alive. I thank you in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen.